1: It's episode 94 of the Equalizer podcast on Super Bowl weekend. I'm Dan Lauletta with John Halloran and Rachel Kriger makes her 2020 debut on the podcast. Chelsea will be back next week. And guys jumping right in USA in qualifying for the Olympic Games. As we all know, it comes down to one game, which will be Friday night against either Canada or Mexico. But so far, wins against Haiti, wins against Panama. Unfortunately, I've only seen one of these games so far. That was the Haiti game. It was very typical of a beginning of qualifying match for the U.S., which means they were never in danger of losing, but they didn't look particularly good. Uh, so, John, what, what are your thoughts on the first game, the second game, and just kind of where the U.S. is early in the first full season of Lako Andonovsky?
0: I thought uh, I agree with you that it was choppy. I thought that it reminded me a lot of uh, 2015 World Cup qualifying when the U.S. had beat Trinidad and Tobago 1-0 in their opener and then were 1-0 against Guatemala at halftime in their second game. So I thought it was uh, it was a positive step that they looked a lot better against Panama than they did against Haiti, not only in getting the early goal because they had done that against Haiti, but against Panama. Once they got the early goal, they then really kind of dropped the hammer. They had three more, um, you know, or four total in the first 21 minutes. So they really put that game away early, which was something they hadn't done against Haiti. And that game against Haiti really should have been 1-1 when uh, Haiti seemed to have that goal disallowed that uh, seemed like it was that there was nothing wrong with it.
1: Is, has anybody heard a credible explanation of where that goal was <laughs> was disallowed? Because sometimes, you know, we get it, you get into the rhythm and you get on Twitter and yeah. everyone just assumes, all right, that was a bad call. And then later on, someone points out to you a good reason, but I haven't seen anything yet.
0: Yeah, and I don't think anybody asked and I don't think the refs spoke out. I mean, maybe there was a foul that nobody saw, but I think they, it was an offsides call that was just
1: wrong. I don't think the U.S. defended well enough. Or close enough to a fouled anybody on that play. Yeah. I mean, that was bad. It was bad. That was bad. Rachel, what do you, what do you make of the first two?
2: So, um, I agree that everything was pr- pretty sloppy for the most part. Um, but, I mean, <clears throat> that's what happens when you don't really get a ball at your feet or something for 50-plus days. Um, I think uh, for the most part, though, a win's a win, especially in qualifying. It doesn't have to be pretty. Um but as long as you get the win, as long as you get the three points, that's what matters. Um, in the second game, what I really, um, really noticed was Rose Lavelle kind of looked, I don't, I don't want to say slower, but I guess agitated more than anything. Um, which I was surprised about because she had a she had a goal in the match, and but um, I think she looked uh, a little slow in the midfield. I think in the last two games, I think the midfield hasn't been particularly impressive. Sans a hat trick from. Uh, lindsey Horan, but i think the midfield has just been kind of dry kind of bland kind of boring and i think that's the area where the team needs to focus on uh before they get uh to the to the knockouts um maybe not so much the third group stage match
1: john what do you think of the midfield
0: i actually thought in the second game it looked markedly better um And now that's not saying a lot because that first game was about as bad a game as I've seen the U.S. play, Um, certainly in recent memory. I mean, first touches were way misplaced. Passes were behind people or over hit. There was zero combination play. It was just bad. Um, And I thought in the second game it was a lot better. I, I thought Haran did a nice job connecting. Again, this is this is all based on the first 20 minutes, because after that, once it's four nothing, I I tend to once you have a scoreline that's three goals in one direction or another, I tend to kind of ignore what's happening because you're you're not able to evaluate really anything under any sort of competitive situation at that point. But I thought in those first 20 minutes, I thought Horan did a nice job. I thought Sullivan did a nice job setting play Um, and Lavelle. I can't remember which goal it was. I think maybe it was the third goal. Lavelle had a really nice uh, one-touch pass to put, um, I think it was in McDonald or maybe Sonnet down the right flank, which then ended up resulting in a goal. So, you know, again, maybe, maybe later in the match that kind of fell apart, but I was really happy uh, with that midfield trio through the first 20 minutes, and I thought the combination play was markedly better than, than the first match.
1: I've heard a lot of talk about Megan Rapinoe. She didn't start the opening game. She played about an hour in the second game and actually made an impact in that Haiti game from almost the moment she came in. But are we possibly um, witness right now to the beginning of the end of Megan Rapinoe physically where she can play 90 minutes on a regular basis? Or maybe is she just carrying an injury? Or maybe am I reading too much into it?
2: Um, I don't know if you're reading too much into it. I, I think if anything, you know, age does matter in, in certain aspects with, um, you know, physicality and, and being able to go so long in a match um, consistently and be able to keep up. So I think we are kind of seeing the beginning of the end. But I, I also don't know when the end is going to be. There's a giant question mark. Could she go the full 2020? Is she going to? say um, I'm kind of ending it after the Olympics or is she going to try to go into 2021 Um, I don't really know if there's a direct answer for when she's going to be done but I think you know she's not going to be a super sub but I think she's going to be like one of the first or second people off the pitch when she does start and she's going to be one of the first or second people coming off the bench when she isn't starting.
0: I think people probably tried to write her obituary after the 2016 Olympics, too. You know, she was coming off of a serious knee injury. She had a calf injury on top of that going into the tournament. Obviously didn't play well. And then in the game that the U.S. got knocked out, she got subbed in and out because Which she wasn't was 90.
1: Her yeah, only it, game. She didn't play in the group stage.
0: Yeah, it was just and, – and, you know, certainly we can put that decision on Coach Ellis' shoulders as well because she probably should not have been on that roster. But um, obviously this past summer, she showed us all that she can still play at the highest level. I think the one thing she has going for her is that her game has never really been based on pace. It's always been based on her ability to serve a ball, her ability to finish, um, and even her just deception that she has built into her game, which is uh, kind of a special characteristic that not uh, a lot of players have. And, you know, we could certainly see her continue I think for another cycle it's it's definitely you know she's I don't think there's any doubt that she's near the end of her career um, I think the question is whether she could make it to 2023 or not and I do think at the end of the 2019 tournament we did see her have an accumulated fatigue I think by the end of that tournament um, and I, I believe she also had a, a pretty tight hamstring by the end
1: but she yeah, was well, definitely semi for it so
0: yeah so she was definitely slowing down by the end of that tournament i think as anybody would that you know they were in camp for like 50 something days
1: well she also didn't play as well as her accolades would suggest i mean most of her goals were scored from the penalty spot and i think she was viewed to have played better than she did because of what she was doing at the microphone off the field that's not to say she played poorly but i don't think she was the best player on the field by a long shot in the olympics what i find interesting though is if she can't go 90, or if she maybe can't play three straight group games, that complicates what could be an already complicated do you or do you not take Alex Morgan to the Olympics scenario. Because it's dicey enough, as we saw with Rapino, like you mentioned, John, in 16, dicey enough with the 18-woman roster. You can't take two players that are question marks to be, you know, You shouldn't be taking one. Yeah, I I mean, absolutely.
2: I was just about to say, you really shouldn't be taking one. And I mean, there's still a question mark to if Alex Morgan is even going to be in contention for the Olympics. You know, it's it's, you know, you can you can say what you want before um, you have a child. But afterwards, you know, it could be a completely different script. You just never know with those type of things
1: about Sonnet getting in the starting lineup. did that surprise anybody? I, mean, I guess if you're in the on the roster, you you might as well start. But I think Sonnet has been the player now that has risen up to depth Star kind of unexpectedly in the early Vlaco days.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. I think a lot of people would have thought she would have kind of been one of the borderline players. If you're going to cut three from the World Cup roster, obviously Morgan's pregnant, so there's one. But, I, you know, I think you would have looked at Sonnet as potentially being one of those. I think it probably helped that Tierna Davidson still isn't 100% from an, the in, injury she had right before the NWSL final. And uh, for whatever reason, Casey Short wasn't a part of that roster as well.
1: All right, Let's look at uh, Monday's finale now is against Costa Rica. Both teams are in the semifinal. I feel like this game has disaster written all over it. When I say disaster, I mean like 7 nothing at halftime oh. disaster because this whole tournament – And I may or may not start ranting about how ridiculous all these qualifying things are by the end of this podcast. But it all comes down to Friday semifinal. So Costa Rica has zero impetus to do anything against the U.S. Their only focus should be on how do we beat most likely Canada, but possibly Mexico on Friday night, because they could beat the U.S. by 10 goals. It doesn't matter. They've got to win Friday to get in the Olympics and they should feel like they can beat either of those two teams. I think.
2: I'm very high on Costa Rica. I I don't know what it is. I have no connection to the country whatsoever, but I'm very high on them. And I think just like you said that they should have the confidence that they could beat anyone. I also agree that, you know, save your, conserve your energy against the United States, um, but go just, full force on Friday I think if anyone can upset you know looking at Mexico and Costa Rica if anyone could upset the United States or Canada I think it'd be Costa Rica right now because I think they're just playing with super high confidence I think that their team is just a a good cohesive unit Um, and I mean if Mexico could do it in 2004 I think it's time to share the uh, spoils with another another nation to provide a little bit of an upset
1: well i mean clearly costa rica has been ahead of mexico now in the region for a little bit mexico i haven't seen much of the, the the other group but mexico has i guess looked okay interestingly though the mexico canada game on monday is a much bigger game because the winner of the group has to feel like they don't have to face the u.s to get in to the olympics and there's no there's no consolation friday winners are in losers are out that was really in, an interesting dynamic. I remember in 2014 um, for the World Cup qualifiers, the semifinal, and that was when the third-place game was for another spot. And even the fourth-place team, I believe, yeah, the fourth, that was the year Trinidad and Tobago went to that playoff and got beat by Ecuador in deep stoppage time. But a lot of people were criticizing Mexico for not fielding their best side against the U.S. in the semifinal And but they just opted to kind of pull back and wait for the consolation match because, you know, again, you know, it's a trip to the World Cup. You know, you know, the you know, if the U.S. wins Friday, which I expect them to, they're going to talk about, well, it's a final and we're going to play Canada or Mexico. And it's always big deal when it's a final. But the idea is to win Friday. I mean, there's no there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. You got to win Friday and get in the Olympics. And I mean, look, it's I. I think the U.S. will win handily against either Canada or Mexico, but they i mean, it's got to be tense when all of a sudden your whole Olympics comes down to one game.
0: I'll just say, too, I don't have any problem with any teams trying to game the system in their favor. You know, the 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 goal is the goal is qualifying. And so, um, you know, I remember there was kind of that that mini controversy with when the U.S. played Sweden. Uh, At the end of the group stage, because everybody kind of looked at the bracket and said, well, wait a minute, the winner of this game has got a much, much tougher road to the final. Um, You know, it is what it is. You you take the route that you think or you you decide on the strategy that you think is going to best get you where you want to go.
1: And was it Fleming at the World Cup that stood over the dead ball to get the yellow card so she'd be suspended for the last group game? And and be able to go into the knockout stage without uh, any chance of getting suspended.
0: I don't remember that, but again, that's a whole that's a similar situation, and with the way you have the suspensions loaded up, that people game the system to try to make it work in their favor, and Uh, it is what it is.
1: And it's absolutely not the fault of any team. It is you don't. I mean, how crazy is it that you hold a tournament where the semifinals are more important than the final?
0: I don't even have a problem with that because if you, even if you had three teams getting in the semifinal is more important because it's a guaranteed berth. The, I think the real, the real issues for me are that you're holding this whole tournament over a two week period, which is absolute insanity to play 10 games over what, I don't know. What is it? 15 days, 16 days. Yeah. It's, it's something it's like that. Craziness. Um, and the other problem is, is that you don't really have enough competitive teams to make it work. Like, You've clearly got two teams in each group that utterly dominate everybody else. And so it sets up this system where the last day of the group stage isn't really worth anything, uh, which is a plus in some ways, too, in that these teams can, you know, prepare themselves and, and set themselves up for a way that maximizes their opportunities in the semifinal.
1: And I was getting messages about how tough Haiti was against the U.S. the other night, which... I mean I agree with that, but they all so we were talking about a team that lost four nothing to a US team that played one of the worst games they've had in a long time. I'm kinda tired of that narrative. I want real competitive teams. I want these games to matter. You know, we all are disappointed that the men didn't make it to the last World Cup, but the reality is it's because they were terrible, but it's also because They were so they were terrible enough. There were other teams good enough to do it. And I want when the U.S. plays like that, I want them to lose these games because I think that's what will actually push the sport forward. I don't want them to win for nothing. Playing that badly in a in a match of that importance. All right, let's uh, take a break. Um, Along the way in this tournament, Christine Sinclair became the all time international goal scorer. We'll talk a little bit about that. Probably a little bit more about the U.S. Eventually, we'll get to your questions and comments with John and Rachel. I'm Dan on Episode 94 of the Equalizer Podcast. Back on Episode 94 of the Equalizer Podcast, Super Bowl and Olympic Qualifying Edition of the podcast. And if you're just listening to the pod, please check us out on the web at equalizersoccer.com and for premium content, it's equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. Lots of great stuff surrounding qualifying coming out of the NWSL Draft. And we've got She Believes Cup and the NWSL season fast approaching. So check us out, equalizersoccer.com and equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. And also remember to please rate and review equalizer podcast today uh just quickly uh following up on you know haiti being tough and i'm kind of tired of that narrative it's kind of reminding me and this goes back i mean i remember it because the first time i was like really on social media for a world cup was 2015 but i'm sure it goes back farther than that this team's got such talent and heart and they're organized and if we just get know, they just get some money behind them They'll be great. A little investment, and they could really be a factor in the next cycle. What yeah, we, What is the last team that actually went from where Haiti is now to being actually legitimate? I mean, I know the Netherlands made a run, but I don't think they were ever that far down the totem pole. I mean, who is it? Spain, maybe. Yeah, not bad. I mean, I think their youth teams have always been decent, I think.
0: But you're but you're not wrong though. Like whether we're talking about Nigeria or whether we're talking about Panama, a couple of years ago when everybody first saw the talent that they had, like you're in Panama, as far as I'm aware, has still not been paid from the World Cup, which is now s- seven months ago, or has at least not been paid everything that they were owed, which is s- sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. This point of yours that's been longstanding is absolutely valid. That these federations just do not care about their women's team
1: and you can think whatever you want about equal pay but if you're not paying the women you better not be paying the men you know what i'm saying like it shouldn't be like well we're taking care of the men and we don't have enough money to pay off the women i mean that that can't be the case at all what what i want to know is where is this billion dollars going that uh infantino said is getting invested into the women's game Where, where is that billion dollars going Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting any of it. I know, I'll tell you that. But Seriously, I, I'm curious where it's going because, you know, I, I laid it out a couple of years ago in a column that I wrote, a three-cycle a three um, run-up to where the men's and women's qualifiers, at least for the World Cup, the Olympics are a little different because it's quick and it's the, there's no real cushion for a turnaround, but three-cycle run-up to where men's and women's qualifiers have to be the same thing. I'm not saying you just jump jump in and, and send the U S to all these different central American countries like the men do like next cycle, but you got to get there. And if you need to maybe pull back on the men's. All right. Um, Christine Sinclair, and this may very well circle back into a conversation about investment. Um, Christine Sinclair broke Abby Wambach's international record for goals scored with, she now has 185. Well, she had 185. Did she score in the second game? I don't even look, but the record, no, she didn't play. Oh, well, there you go. Um, so 185 for Sinclair, I'd be won back 184. And it's kind of remarkable because I remember the tail end of Mia Hamm. And I mean, she would literally run circles around opposing players. Like she would literally get the ball in midfield and just go one way. And then the other way, and players would literally be spinning around because they couldn't keep up with her. And she would score all these goals against terrible teams. And, They didn't have a league, so you're like, all right, no one will ever break this record. And then here comes Abby Wambach, and she had a league at some points and not other points, but the competition was better, and she broke the record and looked like she put it out of reach. And then here comes Christine Sinclair, who, all right, she was 16 when she scored, and somehow she's 36 and still plays 90 minutes every week for the Thorns. But it's really unbelievable that she was able to score all these goals. Canada doesn't play as often as the U.S. They're not as good as the U.S., they've gone through a lot of runs where they've been terrible offensively and uh, i think this really speaks volumes to an athlete that has never and probably will never get enough credit for how good she is in her sport
2: i think you hit it on the on the head right there with the you know they don't play as many games as the us you know think about how early you know no no disrespect to canada but how early they get Um, They end up finding themselves out of these tournaments and then the extra games that the United States has. I mean, it's just Christine Sinclair is one of my favorite athletes of all time just because of how low-key she is, how she always – she'll acknowledge the success, she'll acknowledge the record, but then she'll pass it right off to her teammates and to the coaches and to the trainers and everyone. And I just think that that is – yeah, that's a really good sign of a leader, somebody who – will take the who will acknowledge the credit, but then also disperse it among the others. Um I just, I can't see anybody. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but I can't see anybody really breaking this record again for quite some time. The only person I could have ended up seeing do it was Marta and she's not really anywhere close to it. And she's also getting up there in age, but I think that this is going to be Christine Sinclair's record for a long time and she's going to keep going. I think she can get to 200.
0: You know, it's just kind
2: of it's just
0: kind of it's, it's just wrong that her federation has not supported her in the way that they should have. And, and that program, because the program is obviously miles ahead of where their men's program is competitively. And they don't put a lot of resources into it. And I, what I couldn't understand is you knew this was coming. Right. So like everybody knew that this record was coming. Could they really not have scheduled a couple of friendlies on home soil so that she could have broke that record in front of a home crowd in front of a decent uh, group of people that could have celebrated that properly? Because it just seems kind of um, wrong that, that it happened the way it happened, where it happened in front of, you know, the, the minimal crowd that was there.
1: And, And part of the issue with the crowd is CONCACAF doesn't, support these terms right. properly. So I know the US men played Costa Rica and there was this discussion about the attendances, but this is not a US these are not US women's national team games. They're CONCACAF games. Um even if she didn't break the record though in the in a home friendly that they would have scheduled, at least you could have brought people out with anticipation, right? And I mean look at Jordan Heidema, is what, seventeen and feels like she's been around forever and scored a bunch of goals already? At this tournament, maybe you get people come to that game and they fall in love with Jordan Heidemann, and then you've got a fan for the next 20 years yeah. that you've built into your program. What I find interesting about Christine Sinclair, though, is if you watch her play, she I, she doesn't jump off the page at you as a goal scorer. I mean, obviously she can score. It's an incredible number of goals, and she's second or third in the NWSL all time. But she doesn't play like a goal scorer. like She just scores goals because she's so... Solid. Like, she's not just running along the front line or being the target player. I, I, she might be, she might, I might think that she's the best all around women's soccer player I've ever seen.
0: I think it depends on when you've seen her, too, right? Like, she's dropped a little deeper later right. in her career.
1: It adds um, to it, though, for me, how good yeah,
0: she is. It does, absolutely. at the ability to do that. But what I'm saying is that, like, I think if you've only watched her the last four or five years, and I'm not saying that's you, but for a lot of people who aren't aware of what the game that stands out to me is the 2012 Olympic semifinal against the U S like, if you go and you watch that game, I think that might be the best she's ever played where she had just, and again, it didn't work out this way, but she had decided she was going to win that game and put the team on her back and just uh, almost dragged them to the Olympic finals. And that was seeing her at her best, seeing her in her prime goal-scoring days. Um, that's that's how I'm going to remember, I think, her ability, where she could just decide to take over a game.
1: One of the top three to five most inspired athletic things I've ever seen, that game by Sinclair. Yeah. And it's a shame. It's not a shame that they lost because you can lose games. It's a shame how that game played out with the – bizarre yeah. call on the the cloud holding the ball too long and then the bizarre handball right off of that sequence it was a shame, I thought. But you also look at that team. Like, that team was ready to be good enough to win in 2015, right? I mean, or, I mean yeah. maybe I've always overrated Canada. I know a lot of people don't think they were ever as good as I did, but I thought that team was ready to at least contend in 2015 and maybe they were tight playing at home. They were lousy in that World Cup.
0: They usually play better against the U.S., though. That's why I was saying before we got started that this this semifinal could be a tricky game. If Mexico upends Canada in that final group stage game and the U.S. is playing Canada to go to the Olympics, you know that Canada is going to be up for that game.
1: I would not mind seeing that, to be honest with you.
2: Who doesn't love CONCACAF chaos?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know know about that, but...
2: I, I think one of the things that I was I was talking with a, a friend, a, another women's soccer reporter, um, and we were just talking about kind of how Christine Sinclair doesn't really get the do of know if nat, international attention um, when it comes to accolades and stuff like, you know, she hasn't really been in the top three for um, the female player of the year, but she's just so all around solid. She's consistent. And like, it's just. She hasn't won in those big moments. She showed up in tournaments, of course, but she hasn't really won the title game. She hasn't gone to the semifinals and and whatnot. So that's why there's not a lot of eyes on her on the international level in terms of, you know, name the top women's soccer player to come to your head. You know, people are going to say Wambach, Marta a bunch of others before they get down to um Christine Sinclair but I mean obviously she's one of the more consistent players in the world as I think but I think that um I think it'd be nice to see her get a little bit more recognition
1: Juan well, when have you watched the game and we all watch tons of NWSL too as well as the Canadian games when do you ever watch a game and say wow Sinclair cost them the game or well breakdown in the midfield started by a bad decision by Sinclair I'm not saying she doesn't make mistakes of course she does like everybody she has quiet games but I can't remember ever coming on a podcast or writing anything about a Thorns game or a Canada game that started with Christine Sinclair cost them the game like ever That's same reaction I got to, where's the billion dollars going? Nobody has an answer. For <laughs> you know, and to what Rachel said before about, you know, passing off the attention, I feel like that's kind of like the modern athlete has that, you know, that's what you're supposed to do now. But I feel like it's a little bit more sincere. Absolutely. Maybe with Sinclair. And I remember Absolutely. after the 2011, I guess, um, WPS final, we were in a media scrum and uh, somebody said you won the MVP. What are your thoughts on that? And what I heard was uh, because she doesn't <laughs> speak very loud. And then I went back and I it was, it picked up on my recorder and she said, I don't care. You know, it wasn't like this is it's a great honor, but I don't care. It was like, I don't care. Like we won. That's it. End of story. And I thought she, you know, grudgingly, she took a little credit for the for the 185. Um But it really is – I just – I'm dumbfounded that she's been able to score that many goals with the way Canada has played and and how rare they play. Because they don't – you know, we get on the U.S. for playing too often. Maybe we need a happy medium because Canada doesn't even hit every FIFA break. And like you were saying, John, they don't play at home. Hardly ever. Right. I mean, they had the – world. Like what was the point of having the World Cup? I guess it was maybe a test run to get in for 26 where they got the joint – bid that won with the u.s and mexico for the men what was the point of hosting in 2015 if they weren't going to build anything off that
0: yeah you're right you're right i mean it's just and and look at the way the u.s does it and i'm not saying that it's always the best to play as many home games as they do but that's how you build your fan base and canada just doesn't seem to either understand that or care or i don't know what it is it's just it's almost like a level of apathy
2: I feel like Canada doesn't have the issue, too. I think th- there's an issue in the United States that no matter where they decide to go, people aren't going to be happy because there's so many major cities. But now forgive me if my geographic knowledge of Canada is a little wrong, but I think, you know, the places that you'd be playing are Vancouver, Toronto, um, maybe Quebec, um, edmonton um you know there's really not many like oh they have to go here they have to go here they have to hit this city and whatnot they don't have that like the united states does if that if that doesn't make sense please let me know
1: well it makes sense but i think they can it takes the opposite which is like hey let's see how many major cities we can exclude by not playing anywhere
2: right
1: <laughs> you know and they do have I me in vancouver's indoors toronto has in is indoors you can play at the at olympic stadium and montreal is indoors I mean, there's enough places you can go and play inside that are legitimate venues that where soccer is played. So not, not really an excuse. Uh, we'll see what happens as, uh, as we go forward. We're going to step aside. We'll come back, look, and see if we've got any questions in the hopper on Twitter. This is Segment 2, Episode 94 of the Equalizer Podcast. Third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast. It's episode 94, and it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their ever-growing catalog of women's sports statistics at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. And we've talked a little bit about uh, the non parity in CONCACAF. And uh, let's just throw this stat out there that the U.S. has scored at least – last 59 goals that have been scored in games they've been a part of in Olympic qualifying in the group stage, they are 12-0 up in the two games this year. They were 16-0 up four years ago. Four years before that, they were 31-0 up. And the year before that, in the last group game, they beat Mexico 3-1. And the match report that I found actually doesn't have the Mexico goal score in it. US had three goals in the opening 33 minutes. So, if we assume Mexico scored late in that game, 59 straight US goals without reply in group play in Olympic qualifying. And that is your Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference. Stat of the week brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their ever growing catalog of women's sports statistics at FBREF.com. And, John, one quick thing I want to mention here before we get into questions. Vladko Landonovsky in the NWSL, everybody acknowledges how great a coach he was. But if there was a weakness in the Vladko teams, they had a tendency to give up weird late goals. I remember a sky blue game might have been the first year of the league. They were up two nothing. There were two long balls in the box. They let them both bounce. Monica Ocampo scored them both. There was another one where Heather O'Reilly backed into someone on a set piece late penalty and they drew the game. That kind of popped into my head when Haiti should have scored that goal, which would have blown up my stat of the week. Um, any concern defensively for you so far? or is that a valid concern about um, you know Vlatko when they get into tighter games internationally?
0: I don't I don't know. I mean the US has always had this defensive liability, um, especially when they're playing weaker teams. Or even good teams that bunker in on them. I mean, that's obviously how they lost to Sweden in 2016. It's how they've, you know, struggled against uh, they struggled against Spain uh, this summer. You know, who played a very physical game and, and sat sat back and then just tried to to hit on the counter. And part of the, at least going back to the Jill Ellis era, which is how I still think the fullbacks are playing, is that they go forward a lot. And when they do that, you're leaving. Dahlkemper and Sauerbrunn who are not the paciest players back there by themselves, which is why it, it was the biggest reason why I thought moving Ertz to the six was a good idea because it gave them a little bit of protection there, which they had lacked back when they were playing Haran and Ally long as those dual sixes in 2016. So um, it, it's a vulnerability. It's a vulnerability. Anytime you're playing a good team is that they're going to counter Now that one obviously came, um, the, the disallowed goal came on a corner kick, so that's a little bit different. But that corner kick came off of an opportunity where they had had worked the ball in on a transition about 30 yards from goal, and then I can't remember who hit it, but they hit a long shot towards the corner that Nair uh, managed to push out for the corner.
1: Right, let's get to the questions via Twitter. Siobhan Mac, what do you think is the best way to do Olympic qualifying? Because these one-sided games – Surely aren't it. Um, I'll I'll go World Cup, not Olympics, because the Olympics are a very tight turnaround. Got to get a system in place where everybody has to play qualifiers. Everybody has to host qualifiers. Everybody has to put teams on the field for every FIFA window. Maybe you get one off a year and you have to get teams better that way, because these teams show up for qualifying they get their doors blown off and then you hear oh there's a camp for some team in October that's wonderful but it has got to be better than that i mean i you know i've already talked about that in the last segment anything to add to that from either one of you two there
0: might be a way to transition to doing it like a double tournament or something like that where there's a there's a group stage And then six months later, then there's the knockout stage or something like that. Like at least build towards a system that's more like the men's. Like like you had said, like you don't have to jump to it in one cycle. Exactly. Um, But the other thing I I had this thought the other day when I was watching the Panama U S game, and it made me think of how on the men's side that major league soccer has made, in my opinion, so many of the CONCACAF teams better. And I was wondering why, that we don't see some of these players um, like Bailey or uh, there was another another Panamanian player, Marta Cox, who had a really nice moment kind of carving through the U.S. defense early in that game. Why well, we don't see some of those players move into the NWSL or maybe when the NWSL expands, you know, to 15 teams or so, maybe we do start to see more of these uh, Caribbean and Latin American players come in and maybe we do end up making CONCACAF better through the league.
1: I think you probably have to expand rosters a little bit more. Well, that's why I said 15 teams because yeah. of the. Yeah. So you get coaches to take the shot yeah. on that. And, you know, the other thing you can do is you can say, all right, for this next cycle, we're going to, you know, everybody's got a host at some point, but maybe this window, everybody goes to Panama. Eight teams go to Panama and you play double headers. Right. Four teams go. You play a Wednesday, Sunday double header. So you're not necessarily playing away to Panama, but. They're figuring out how to put, the, you know, how to get the infrastructure behind building that ability to host a doubleheader. People are going down there. Then maybe they got to start a fan base. Yes. It's a Wednesday, Sunday, and you do it that way. It doesn't, like you say, you don't have to just be like, all right, Panama's got to play Haiti in a home and home. You know, love to see it. I think it's necessary to see it. Rachel, you want to jump in on this? This is a great topic.
2: I, I don't really have all the answers. I think expanding the teams, expanding the roster, like John said, is probably the way to go. Um, forgive me, my qualifying knowledge is not as up to par as you guys.
1: Okay, fair enough. Hypocrisy. Hunter, how do you think the Linus' game will change with Don Scott as strength and conditioning coach? What's our strength and conditioning staff looked like since her departure? John, you know this stuff better than me. Do you know who the strength and conditioning staff is?
0: I don't actually know if they've hired a permanent replacement or not.
1: I I think England really, it's not. I mean, yeah, she could help, but they've got to get, they've got to figure out whether or not Phil Neville is the right guy. Because England is, you know, like I said, Canada 2012 was good enough to contend. England should be good enough to contend. I would also say that Don Scott did a great job for these players when they were with the US but haven't we spent the last 5 years complaining about how many players come back from US camp hurt that's a fair point so
0: i'll well, also say too that a strength and conditioning coach is maybe going to give you an extra 5% or maybe at the US's level an extra 1% Um, So it's not it's not going it's going to make a difference in the super tight games, but it's not going to make a difference in probably 95 percent of the games.
1: And it goes back to the the debate about qualifying, which is that when you're only getting together once a year, maybe once every two years and you're not playing in a pro league, how do you expect to be fit and how do you expect to compete in game two against the U.S. When the U.S., they couldn't have changed out every player, but they could have changed out like nine players and still had maybe the best 11 players on the field against Panama's best 11. All right, moving on. Um, this one's directly for you, John. NWSL name a streaming partner, um, but questions a little bit off that topic. Is Alana Cook's absence from the U.S. in 2020 more about a lack of real FIFA windows and dealing with Paris Saint-Germain, or are there signs that she's swinging England's way again, not really expecting her on Olympic qualifying roster, but no January camp showing was a surprise.
0: Yeah, I think it was, it was mainly a a window thing. Um, I think that she is on the bubble regardless. So I'm not sure that it's like, even let's say she was completely available. It wouldn't have been a total shocker that she wasn't in there. Um, she's only been called into one camp at this point. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's, it's a huge deal. I think what we saw, especially under Ellis, was that players who were overseas really needed to come back if they wanted to have a shot at staying in the U.S. pool. I would expect that to be pretty similar under Vlatko and not even necessarily because of anything that he believes in necessarily. But it's just when you have the U.S., which operates outside of numerous FIFA windows, you're going to want those players available. And if they're not, it's going to make it harder for them to make an impact. Um, I won't be shocked if she ends up playing for England, but I'm also not surprised that she's not part of the U.S. at this
1: at this point. Rachel, I'm coming to you for this one from NWSL, L-U-L-Z. After the USA-Sweden friendly in November, this would be almost an unconscionable question, but with the Olympic qualifiers, has Lynn Williams played her way onto an Olympic roster Frenesi's even starting lineup, and conversely, has Lloyd played her way out?
2: <laughs> you would give me the Carly Lloyd question. I didn't um, no, I
1: didn't realize when it was coming to you. I didn't realize the Lloyd part was on there.
2: No, you di- oh, you knew, you knew. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the Lynn Williams aspect, I think there should undoubtedly be uh no question yes she has to be on the roster she has to be a starter I think um you know with with Vlako Andonovski, he's been talking about you know getting a new wave of players in but at the same time you know with the Olympics right here in our backyard it's you know you can't just overhaul everyone right now so I think that her integration I think her and Andy Sullivan are both kind of in that bubble together I would play them I would start them I would keep them around for as long as I can. Um, and Carly Lloyd, oh, man, <laughs> um, I'm going to say yes, just because I, I think that, you know, she's getting up there in age. I think she she wasn't um, she wasn't fantastic against Haiti. I think she was a little dry against Haiti, um, despite having that goal right. It was either at the 90th minute or it was right in stoppage time. Yeah. Um, But I think that, you know, this is just part of the – kind of getting some of the older players um, out and getting some of the newer players. in. I think that there's going to be a lot of kicking and screaming when it comes to some of the players maybe playing in their last matches or, or even having that conversation, but I still think it needs to happen and you're not going to have growth unless you let those younger players come in and help provide that growth. So you're
1: saying Carly Lloyd is out for 2020 Olympics.
2: I, I'm saying she's not making the roster now.
1: Wow. I, I think that is madness. <laughs> I'm not talking about.
2: If if I was the coach, I mean, granted, I don't have a crystal ball, but if I was the coach, I wouldn't I wouldn't put her on the roster. I think no. the
1: moment Alex Morgan announced she was pregnant, Carly Lloyd could have booked her room in the Olympic Village.
0: I just I don't I don't get the. I... I understand how sometimes the way that Carly says something, especially the way it looks transcribed versus how she says it in person can, can, I don't know, rankle fans a little bit, but I don't get the idea that she's still not a top performer. Oh my God. She played bad against Haiti. They all played against bad against Haiti. Like Lynn Williams was the best player and she still played bad. So it's just craziness to me. Lloyd had 16 goals last year, and she's the, the only player, uh, you know, other than McDonald and Williams, who I think she's better than both of them, who can play that number nine role in a holdup fashion. Now, we don't know if is going to want it played the same way, but man, Lloyd was the backup to Morgan and was pretty darn close to playing at that same level. So to I just don't get it. I saw so many people after that Haiti game going after Lloyd. And I just like, are you kidding? Did you, all of them played bad. All of I them. Agree. Had, it was I, just, it was one of the worst games I've ever seen.
2: I, I agree. I don't think she should get entirely singled out when everybody else is playing bad. I am a firm believer of the club performance as well. Um, You know, I know, Women's soccer fans never want to talk about the men's national team. But one of my favorite things about Jurgen Klinsmann was that if you don't perform well at your club level, you're not getting called in. I didn't care for Bruce Arena, but he also had that mantra and he stuck with it. And I feel like sometimes under Jill and, you know, maybe under Vlaka, it's too early to tell. But there was this notion of, okay, they have a name. They went to a World Cup. They're always on the international stage who cares what they're doing at club we're still going to bring them in and i just i'm not the biggest fan of the way the mindset of that i think if you don't perform at your club level and you don't perform consistently then you don't get called into camp it that's just
1: it wasn't carly one of the top 3 or so world cup players in the league after the world cup she was good
2: after the world cup yeah yeah
1: i mean i agree i would li- i would like for club performance to matter than it does here either but uh, let's go on record right now rachel krigger says carly lloyd won't be on the olympic roster 2020
2: i'm gonna get so many (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna get so many death threats i'm going to private
1: (laughs) all right nwsl lulz also asked about a trade uh that meg linehan teased prior to the weekend as of recording hasn't been announced so we're not going to go uh and dive into that one abby How much do you think Canada and the U.S. will actually care about winning the final game, assuming they're in it? I mean, I know they want to win every game, but the whole point is to qualify for the Olympics, and I'm sure they'll want to minimize injury risk. Um, I'll go first. I already said that U.S. will talk about how it's a final and it matters, and both teams will want to win. I think A, you're right, Abby. It's all about qualifying, and that's the Friday game. B, I think it's I think Canada at some point has to beat the U.S. in order to change the narrative and the rivalry. So I think it would be a lot more important for Canada to do it than it would be for the U.S. to do it, you know, for the long term. But I don't like the minimizing injury risk thing. You know, it's athletic. You can get hurt in training. You can get hurt in any game. As, you know, as long as you're not pushing an injured player into somewhere they shouldn't be, uh, I just I I can't warm up to the minimizing injury risk narrative you know like load management problem too is the
0: rosters position. are too small to really minimize your uh, too you, you know what i mean like you can only replace certain number of players you got to put yeah. and 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 even regardless the u.s the backups are almost as valuable as the starters
1: yeah and i actually said before that the u.s maybe could have changed out nine players but actually they only have six field subs so i yeah. exaggerated a bit rachel you want to add to that one
2: um, I don't really have much to add. You guys kind of hit it. Um, I think, like you said, <laughs> Canada beating the United States. Hey, it'd be interesting because the Canadian men beat the U.S. men last year. So Canada could just go on a complete like rampage against U.S. soccer teams.
1: Well, there you go. Speaking of Meg Linehan, by the way, uh, she just sent out a tweet from U.S. camp. And apparently Laura Harvey uh, is present and part of that uh down there with the u.s during training on sunday all right abby again should lavelle have remained in the game against panama were you as unimpressed with mcdonald as i was lloyd's role going forward rachel no seriously i didn't see the panama game so you you guys got to take don't
2: don't you dare give me another (laughs) lloyd question i will probably get murdered
1: (laughs) okay take the lavelle and mcdonald since i didn't see that game
2: I don't think McDonald was as bad as people were saying. I think it was just collectively like just a rough night in the beginning. Um, I think she was, if anything, I don't think there was really much technical aspect there. I think it was just kind of go and do anything you can to score. Um, Rose Lavelle kind of looked dry in the uh, in the Panama game, but I, I also thought the midfield kind of just looked okay sands um haran and andy sullivan
0: john no i yeah i said everything i wanted to say about the midfield earlier
1: all right uh, john forsyth um some would welcome a cbs all access or nbc peacock or espn plus disney plus avenue for nw as hell games but others view it as bad i'm not sure what is best for the league what are your thoughts on tv versus cable Versus digital streaming, will fans be happy with the rumor deal? I assume the rumor deal is CBS, which um, I reported a couple days ago was they were the big leader in the group. Um, I'm a little bit torn about this because, you know, we all love television, but we're kind of trending away from television. Uh, To me, it's the consistency. It's figuring out a partner that actually wants to make a long-term investment like a&e was on the right track i thought it was the wrong partner but they had the right attitude but again two years in and they blew it up you know does somebody really want to embrace this and make it a big deal that's that's my biggest question and i don't honestly know who does it best there's got to be some quality to
0: it like uh, how many times are we going to watch a go 90 broadcast that just stinks you know, or how many times are we going to have a Yahoo broadcast where we can't literally find it on the app without a direct link to it? So, I, you know, listen, even me, and I'm a, I'm a late adopter, so I have cut the cord. So I I use streaming now, and I probably you know one of the the last people kind of making that switch over. So we're kind of past the days where you're going to just stumble upon um, an athletic event by by changing the channels, but you still totally have to. Agree. But you have to make it viewable by people who are on your platform. So if I, if I had gone to the Yahoo Sports app, the ability to find an NWSL game was difficult even when I was looking for it. So that's a problem in and of itself. But the bigger problem in terms of the people who think it needs to be on traditional TV so that casual viewers will find it is that you have to have it front and center on a web page or on an app. So that a casual viewer can see it in that method that, oh, hey, there's this game on. Um, And then it has to be cross promoted with their other um, with whatever other properties they have in the soccer arena. So uh, CBS appears to be the front runner and they have the Champions League. So is there going to be some cross promotion there? I think that's probably pie in the sky at this moment. But, you know, is CBS going to do what they can to push viewers towards those games if they are indeed the broadcast partner.
1: And then I do think there are elements when you get to the game that are the same yep. that you're looking for when you're, quote, changing the channel. But I can tell you this, even as someone, as the old man in the group who hasn't cut the cord, there's a thousand channels now. You don't right. just aimlessly go through the channels. You might you can go to your guide and sort by sports, and maybe you're saying, all right, well, there's a soccer game on Let me check it out. But there are still elements that you've got to have when you get to that game. You've got to have broadcasters who are knowledgeable about the players and the teams and the tactics and what's going on. And when something happens, you've got to be able to put it into context immediately. Because, you know, if anybody follows my Twitter account, you know that I stay up very late watching tennis from Australia. And one of the best parts of it is the ESPN tennis team is really good and you can watch a match and you actually get information that you can't just get from going to ATP or WTA website. They actually tell you about what, you know, how the player's trending and what, how are they playing differently than they did two years ago, three years ago, five years ago. These things are important. And when you get to those games, you need to, you need that element there. Um,
0: Well, and we all know too that, you know, whether it's, it's Jen Hildreth or Allie Wagner or Jordan Angeli, like there are people that, the WOSO community trusts and knows are knowledgeable and are going to listen to. And, you know, I, and I, and I've told you this, uh, and I've told Jen Cooper this, that I love when you guys are the ones announcing the NWSL games, because frankly, a a fair number of the other people doing those broadcasts don't know what they're talking about or don't even know the players' names or can't pronounce them. And so immediately you're kind of turned off to the product.
1: Well, I like that comment a lot better than, when a few minutes ago when you said turning on streams that weren't very good. So I'm glad to <laughs> I hate like the
0: quality of the video, but
1: okay. Uh, Rachel, what do you think? What, uh, what's your top priority? You're the, uh, you're the young one in the group. So what's, your, what, what's your top priority for the deal for getting the league on TV or streaming?
2: I think I, I was sad to see the reports about ESPN kind of, you know, pulling away from it. Cause I think that's your, you know, golden ticket, if you will. Um, they're not just available on TV, but they're available in, in countless different ways online, you know, ESPN plus you don't need the bundle. It's not a very cost effective or cost. Um, what's the opposite of cost effective. It's not expensive, I guess. Okay. Um, and, I think just if you're going to go down the route of CBS, I think you just need to make it as accessible as as possible and and just make it easy to navigate. That's the thing. Listen, I am young. I like to think I'm not part of this group, but a lot of young people are very lazy. I hope I'm not part of that group. Not um, at all. And, um, you know, they want things easy to find easy to navigate you know they, they don't have time and you know we're, we're not interested in surfing around a website to find a link that takes me here 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 and here i just we want to get it like fast and easy and and it just needs to be accessible and that should be aside from actually getting the deal done that should be the number one priority
1: i think it's got to be easier more easily accessible from the league site too because if there's a league the first thing you're going to do to look for information about a league you're curious about is go to the website. And if it's difficult from that site to find information about the, how to watch the games, that's a problem. And I think, and I, again, I didn't go too often to the league site, but I I don't think it was easy enough.
0: Well, that's the, that goes back to the thing we've talked about half a dozen times, but the virtual dissolution of NWSL media midseason was just a catastrophe. And the website clearly fell off the, social platforms fell off the all of that you know became a struggle even getting basic information to the media was was a struggle for the league for a fair fair amount of last season so that's got to be they they have to invest in at least one person to run that and hopefully two or more to just get that back to a point where that becomes as you mentioned like this this conduit to guiding people from there to the games and and to other content that's that's important
1: no doubt about it last one gk papa will transfer fees become a thing in woso or will teams just continue to wait out contracts they've already started to become a thing at very small levels i think they will become a big deal sooner than later and i actually think the nwsl will drive it a lot because you'll see a lot of movement from the nwsl to europe and back that's going to wrap up the Equalizer podcast. We'll be back next week to figure out who's in the Olympics, USA, and Canada. Anybody see this going differently?
2: Costa Rica. <laughs> I want chaos. Bring me all of it.
1: John, USA, Canada? I, I, don't, I wouldn't count Mexico out, we'll see what happens. But. They've got to beat Canada, though. Yeah. And not have to face the U.S. All right, well, we'll be back next week. Talk to you all about it. Thanks for listening. For John Halloran and Rachel Krigger. I'm Dan Lauletta. You've been listening to episode 94 of the Equalizer podcast.